Welcome to the Pruleith Culinary Institute podcast. I'm your host, Adela Stieler van Avestazen. Join me as we explore the fascinating world of food through interviews with chefs, chefs in training, farmers and producers. We will be talking ingredients, techniques, recipes, history, trends, health, sustainability and even the bit of politics. But it will all be about food. It is spring, the weather is changing, the trees are budding and leafing. And with the decline in COVID-19 numbers in South Africa, it does feel like life, never mind spring, is in the air. Not only are we ready to shake the lockdown kilograms for our beach bodies needed in December, but I think if we have learned anything during the last few months, it is that a healthy body and strong immune system is something that we should all be investing in if we are to live fruitful lives. Joining me to talk about the importance of boosting the immune system and eating enough plants is Angela Schaefer, a Pruleith Culinary Institute director, but also functional medicine health coach, as well as Pruleith head of academics, Debbie Lartz, and our restaurant head chef that's growing many of our plants for our restaurant, Werner Spur. Welcome, Angela, Debbie and Werner. Angela, starting this conversation about the immune system, in a nutshell, what are the most important aspects to consider to strengthen one's immune system? Adela, I would definitely start with sleep. Quantity and quality of sleep are both important there. Exercise is another very important consideration. We need to be doing moderate and regular exercise, not extreme exercise for prolonged periods of time because that also depresses the immune system. Stress management is absolutely key. We can be doing everything else correctly, but if our stress levels are high, it can really wipe out the immune system. And then also very importantly is our diet and nutrition. I think as a culinary school, the food and nutrition is something that we are especially passionate about. And so, you know, your functional medicine approach that you are specializing in follows the philosophy of food should be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. Considering this statement, what are the most significant health promoting foods that we should be including in our diets? There really is a lot that we can do by what's on the end of our fork. Um, importantly to consider here is covering all the different food groups. They all play an important role. It's a sort of a synergistic effect. But I would definitely say, considering the immune system, we need to focus on anti-inflammatory. And that includes our omega-3 fatty acids, which we can get from wild-caught fish. Also plant sources, flax seeds, walnuts, chia seeds. But very importantly are our fruits and vegetables. They really play a critical role in the immune system, providing vitamins, minerals, fiber. Fiber supports our microbiome. That's also a buzzword that's going around at the moment, which is a very important factor in the immune system. So yes, it's a broad variety that we need to cover most importantly. This variety you highlighted quite a bit in a recent online event where we cooked uh, Prue, our patron, and Peter Leeds' new vegetarian cookbook, and you did some of the health chat for us in between. You elaborated quite a bit about eating a variety of colors. 
why is it that there's such a focus on eating the rainbow and eating a variety of colors of vegetables for good health? Plant foods, basically fruits and vegetables, herbs and spices, contain phytonutrients, which are plant compounds, which actually protect the plant and serves their number of functions that these plant compounds perform in the plants, which provide many functions to the plant itself, protection against pests, protection against environmental stresses. So the phytonutrients in these plant compounds have health benefits for human beings too. They stimulate enzymes, they help the body get rid of toxins, they boost the immune system, they improve cardiovascular health, and they promote healthy estrogen metabolism. So we have, it's actually available on the Pruleith website, the phytonutrient spectrum. And this basically divides all those phytonutrients, the plant compounds, into categories of color, because each color category has its own set of plant nutrients that we need to eat. There seems to be one color that is often highlighted in a variety of different diets. Green seems to be more important than some of the others. Is there truth to that? Why is it that green and eat your greens has become such a phrase when we're talking about healthy eating? Yeah, so dark green leafy vegetables, that's a sort of the, the buzzword at the moment, um, are important. Everything is important. But for instance, in the green category on the phytonutrient spectrum, there are at least 23 compounds that are listed there. For instance, there's a chemical called sulforaphane, which we find in dark green leafy vegetables. It basically switches on a switch in our body, which can switch on up to 500 genes. So it obviously has very strong health-promoting properties. Dark green vegetables also have other vitamins, other minerals, and fiber, which is, again, very important even especially in one of the the plant-based diets that I know is something that's been quite trendy. It's one of the things that you see quite a bit that they're sort of highlighting these greens. The plant-based diet, is this just another diet fad that is passing through or is there something different about it? Because I also know from previous conversations, you've actually mentioned alarming quantities of vegetables that we should be having on our plates. Is this something, a diet that you would subscribe to, or is this, again, a trend that we're going to be talking about in 20 years and laughing about the things we ate? Adela, I truly believe that eating plant foods and a plant-based diet is going to be the future of our health. I was listening to a webinar the other day by Yale Joffe, who's a world leader in nutrigenomics, and the take-home message from her was for optimal gene expression, we need to eat 600 grams of plant food a day. Yeah, so not only on a genetic level do we need that quantity, which includes nuts and seeds and herbs and spices, not just fruits and vegetables. But the other very important role that plants serve is to provide fiber for our microbiome, the sort of prebiotic fiber, which is the food for the probiotics that we need to consume as well. That is fascinating. That is an alarming amount of plant food. Debbie, as a chef and nutrition lecturer, how would you suggest omnivores, especially uh, in a country like ours with this meat-eating culture, can increase vegetables in our diets? How are we going to get that 600 grams in 
Adela, I think that's the dilemma a lot of South Africans face. It's so hard for us to change our mindset. So I think doing it slowly and with conscious thought is, is where we need to go. And really just get to know our ingredients, explore them, take a cauliflower and, and see what you can do with it. You know, apply all the different cooking methods to it and, and really get to know the ingredients and its core flavors and what the different cooking methods would transform that vegetable into. And we can then get quite excited about, you know, a roasted cauliflower steak as opposed to a red meat steak. And, you know, along those lines, just with conscious thought, exploring the flavors and the wonderful textures and variety of vegetables is the way that uh, the South Africans need to move um, in their cooking methods. I think for me as a chef, one of the things that I always thought about vegetables as opposed to meat is that you've got so much more variety. So for me as a chef, I feel like there's a lot more creativity that's available in terms of color, in terms of texture, in terms of flavors. But how skilled are our South African chefs really, do you think, when it comes to vegetables? You've mentioned some innovative things like the cauliflower steak. How good are we at this in South Africa? Pretty rubbish, actually. <laughs> um, we... Again, our, across all our cultures, we tend to put the focus on meat. And it's a, it's a shift that even the restaurant chefs are, it's starting to happen in South Africa. You, you know, even our students, uh, we had a terrific final exam where one of our students actually did her main course was a vegetarian dish with, with cauliflower, funnily enough. And that's what's amazing is that we are seeing it start to come through. And it's very much what we are doing at Prulith is, is teaching our students to start making vegetables the main focus of our plate, um, not the traditional approach of a big piece of meat with three vegetables, mm. but to look at the vegetable being the main star. And I think in South Africa, it is, it is advancing, but not as quickly as we should be. Yeah, we still think that chicken is a vegetable. Yes. Debbie, you were mentioning now the project with the, with the students or how you're teaching the students at Preleith. Um, you've actually initiated a new herb and vegetable planting project with Varnet for the students at the Institute. And we've also, for the first time, actually launched a gardening shift as part of the restaurant duties for students working in the restaurant. What was the reasoning behind this project? And then also the project, the herb planting project, not just the, the restaurant shifts. I think multifocal was our biggest or bigger picture is looking at the fact that 90% of people live in complexes today, don't have back gardens, don't plant their own at home. And our chefs were losing sight or our students were losing sight of the where vegetables came from. So from a sustainable level, from a grow your own and teaching the students what they're not learning anymore at home and to have that sustainable resource and also to know the vegetable truly intricately from the inside out. I have to say this time of the year, I just want to like stick my fingers in the ground and, and get planting. Mm. Varna, what is the benefits of planting a kitchen garden? Firstly, it helps to bring the food cost down. <laughs> of course, chefs are all about food cost. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, the wastage has dropped tremendously. Everything that's coming through the kitchen has to pass by me first before it goes into a bin. Mm -hmm. So looking at saving water not filling up the rubbish heaps, what we can repurpose in any way mm -hmm. it gets to a point of the bottom pieces of the celery, putting it in water for a few days until the roots start showing and replanting it. And then eventually we don't have to buy in anymore because mm -hmm. we will produce our own. We can just trim as we need. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I, I think in South Africa for us to, to learn the respect for ingredients for our students specifically, that 
you know, you're talking about zero wastage, mm. but if you've planted something yourself, you sort of have more respect for it, you know, and you've, you've put your love and your passion into it. And then all of a sudden you start thinking, well, what can I do with the top of the carrot and not throw it away? And how can I utilize this product completely? I was just telling Debbie and, and, and Wagner that I'm actually planting not just a kitchen garden, but I'm planting a garden in general, uh, an edible garden in general, because I've got lettuce and spinach in between my roses. Uh, roses require quite a bit of water, and I feel in a water-scarce country, if I'm going to be pouring water onto something, let it be something edible. Is this an approach that you think could work for general gardens? Debbie, you're talking about students with small gardens at home. Absolutely, Adela. You know, the big thing here is there's such a move towards having an edible garden. You know, edible plants are so pretty. You know, rosemary flowers are gorgeous. Sage flowers are incredible. And just having that approach to your back garden, whether it's pots, whether it's uh, between your roses, utilizing saving water by utilizing the water that you are using to actually grow something you're eating mm -hmm. is a far better use of your land. Um, companion planting has become huge, uh, learning what benefits your plants. So planting carrots with leeks, planting carrots with calendula, reducing pests in your garden through the use of these wonderful edible plants is a far better sustainable option and, and again, part of what we are teaching our students. Mm. The future of food certainly looks different than the future of health as well. Angela, if I can jump back to you and ask you, is there any health properties or health reasons to plant your own as opposed to buying from supermarkets or your greengrocer? Absolutely, Adela. The whole key with growing your own plants is that you can manage what goes into them. Organic is actually becoming more and more important in this day and age because so many of our vegetables are heavily sprayed with pesticides, herbicides. Uh, we don't know what goes into the soils. The soils are very depleted. But just in terms of protecting your own health, it is much more preferable to grow your own vegetables. The soil is such an important component. Werner would be able to elaborate on that, but it, it contains many microorganisms which actually become probiotics in our, in our body, which um, boost our gut flora and our gut health. And if they're not grown without pesticides and herbicides and chemical fertilizers, we need to wash them and we land up washing off all those microorganisms that have health-promoting benefits to us. So it is very, um, well, far more preferable to grow our own vegetables. You know, Angela, what you've just said there makes so much sense. I have such fond memories of going to my grandfather's farm as a child and knowing that the vegetables I was going to eat that he grew himself are better than anything else I eat. The, you know, I looked forward to eating those vegetables. And I think that's something we must look towards as well and, and the, the benefits of pulling it out of the ground, seeing your radish grow from beginning to end and then actually eating it on your plate is such a sense of achievement as well, you know, and, and we need to teach our children that and our students. Absolutely. That sense of achievement, Absolutely. I think, is that a lot of people feel you're only going to get if you have truly green fingers. So, Varna, do you have any advice for first-time kitchen gardeners or edible plant gardeners that are desperate to grow their own, but they are not sure that their fingers are green enough? What should they be planting? Start with the basics, the easy stuff. Do a radish. They grow quite easily. And take it from there. Slowly start expanding as you go along. See what your 
read at the back of the packet of seeds that you bought. So if it's asking for full sun, don't plant it in the shade. Just follow the instructions. You'll be good to go. If my five-year-old can do it, then you can certainly do it. I think that's such an important thing that you're mentioning because that is starting at a younger age. And I think what we are seeing now is a generation who's not necessarily been in touch with the ingredients to that extent where we've been sitting with generations who've been living sort of in supermarket contexts with regards to, to ingredients. I know the one thing that apart from, from, from radishes, and they are sort of instant gratification vegetables. You know, if you really want to see if you can do this, plant the radish. Wagner is, uh, is uh, quite right there. I know I did put some in the soil, I think, three days ago, and they're already up and sprouting and saying they're ready. Um, and they're also very nice all year round. But the other thing as well is, is mint as a herb and I think spinach. I've often said to students, you know, if you really can't grow mint and spinach, get out the garden. Um, but I think that would be a good booster to start with. Just one thing to bear in mind as well, when you do plant radishes, mm-hmm. plant something else afterwards, it mm-hmm. takes a lot of nutrients out of the ground. The crop rotation. Yes. And that's and that's exactly the, the thing to, to consider. And you know what? Now we're starting to talk about the challenges. It is so romantic to talk about edible gardens at this time of the year. But what are the challenges that gardeners can expect to face when planting, you know, an edible garden? Pests, Mm -hmm. but don't buy chemicals. Make a little solution. Mm -hmm. Boil some garlic in water, put it in a spray bottle and get rid of the pests. Mm -hmm. Um, The companion planting helps. Mm -hmm. There's plants that you can place in your garden, like catnip and things like that, that will deter the pests at the end of the day. So you can just... Just watch out for those little guys. Yeah, the pests. You don't are, have to spray unnecessarily, but if you see they're starting to come, then you yeah. can make a little organic way of getting rid of them. Yeah, Debbie, you. I've also got some experience with the challenges. Yes, I think managing your expectations is a is a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, start small with the radishes, and then remember that your instant gratification from the plants is fantastic, but. If you want it to be sustainable, you have to use crop rotation and, and having enough space in your garden for that. That's where managing your expectations comes in. You need to look at what you want to yield, how much you want to yield and how often you want the vegetable available for or the fruits or um, whatever it is you're planting. So just looking at the space you have available and, and being realistic. You know, it's a fantastic thing to have something from your garden to your plates, but it needs to be sufficient for you to use, but also not a surplus. So just managing managing the crop rotation. Yeah. Anna. Yeah. So if you limit it with space in your garden, be clever about it. Same as what you've just done, Asha. If you've got the roses and you've got your lettuce growing in between, that's very Mexican because they plant corn mm. and beans and the beans shoot mm. up next to the corn and you get a double crop yeah. <laughs> from the same piece of land. Yeah. So just be clever about it. Planting, yes. yeah, absolutely. A few years ago, I attended a workshop by Italian chef Enrico Crippa at a slow food event in in Italy. And it was the first time for me that a chef was actually honest about the challenges of running his own vegetable garden. And so he literally used the words, the garden can be a bastard. Um, And I was shocked. (laughs) And uh, it was, you know... All the chefs always tell you these wonderful stories and it's so romantic and, you know, and I'm growing our own and we serve our own. But he was very honest and he said to that one of the biggest challenges that you don't think about, and especially in terms of space, is that you've now got this fantastic garden for summer, but you need to start planting early enough to also have stock 
for autumn, for winter. Absolutely. And so do you have that garden space where you're going to be pre-planting? So that planning, and Debbie, I know you're also doing a, a calendar with the students to actually see what have we planted, what do we need to plant next, and also be um, you know, looking out at, at, at the seasons, what, what is coming up to see what we, what we should be planting. In terms of planting, seasonality is obviously important. But in terms of sourcing vegetables in general, Debbie, do you think seasonality is, is, is that important? Because, you know, we're living in a global world. We, can, we have access to everything at any time. And we were just talking about eating variety. So, you know, what, what weighs the, the, the heaviest, the season or the variety? Sure. Adela, that is, is such a weighted question and it has so many aspects to it. Traditionally, as we were talking earlier about the, the South African food culture, when, you know, from when I started as a chef to now, there's a big change. There's a big difference. You know, when I started out as a chef, we didn't have, we were lucky to have feta cheese in South Africa. Now we can get everything, as you said, at any time of the year. We can have strawberries in February if we want. So it's, it's so important to provide your consumer or your client in your restaurants with what they want especially when you're demanding a high price. So having that availability was paramount. What we're seeing now is a, is a big change to, is that actually healthy for the environment? Is it healthy for our planet? Is it, is it a healthy thing to eat a strawberry out of season? And when you're talking, and, and as Angela's been saying, when you're boosting your immune system, there are critical things that are not there or found in that strawberry that is grown out of season or through hydroponics, aquaponics, those various different fast food producing mm. farming methods, GMO, genetically modified, that, that variety is important. It is very important in our diet, but we do need to find it in its right season. And, and again, we come back to why it is so important to have a garden and to teach our students how to grow their garden sustainably in the correct season and use on our plates what is right at the right time. So again, it's a balance. Wagner, what is the response of the students been to being put in the garden when they expected to be in the kitchen? I think it was a little bit of shock at first. <laughs> but I did explain to them that this is the way that the industry is changing the whole time. There's a lot of our top restaurants grow their own. They forage their own. So that is what's going to go onto the plate at the end of the night. And I think that is what I really enjoy about what we are doing as a culinary institute is that what you're seeing more and more is that, you know, just being a chef, your knowledge is required to be so much more vast nowadays. You need to expand it. And I think what we're often saying is that we are not just training chefs anymore, but we are teaching food minds, we're teaching the language of food, and we really are training young chefs into culinary careers as opposed to just a chef because there is so much more. The chef is now also the farmer. You know, the chef is also the nutritionist advising and saying, well, actually, I have a responsibility to what I am putting on my plate for my customer. Debbie, is that something that you're finding as a chef that you consider quite a lot more than you did before, nutrition? Absolutely, Adela. You know, nutrition is one of the most fundamental parts of every day. So every human on the planet needs to be looking at what they're eating and, and how they're eating it. So as a chef, it's a huge role for us. And, and that's where we're seeing the plant-based coming in. We're seeing superfoods. We're seeing all these genres or, or they're not quite food fads they're more genres of eating where 
a person is approaching their plate of food more as how am I feeding my body versus how, what am I going to eat tonight? And that role is a chef's responsibility as well. And, and that change we're seeing in restaurants. Uh, you had a fabulous tour in, in Italy last year where you came back with phenomenal ideas from the marketplaces there, that big market you went to. And, and we're seeing this movement worldwide, not just in South Africa, that our students come out at the end able to carry on with this. So from a chef and a, a lecturer, it is very important that we teach our students how to go about this so that they can change the industry as we go um, and bring that knowledge into the industry. So we're looking at that student that graduates that can take the information that we pass on, on nutrition, on immune boosting, on feeding the body rather than eating, out into the industry to create a sustainable change that can perpetuate what we are teaching. Absolutely. This has been a fascinating conversation, talking about our planting, which we are so excited about, that's, that's happening in our garden, that's starting out, the health, um, and definitely conversations that we're going to continue having, especially about that microbiome that you have mentioned, Chippy, and I know fermentation for the chefs that tie into that. So that certainly will be one of the next areas that we are going to be exploring on this topic. But I just want to say thank you for joining me and sharing your passion for food and health this morning. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.